What's up gamers and welcome to Lost at Sea Gaming. I am hulking Yoda, the captain of this ship, the SS Gamer. And in this episode, join me and grab a few green herbs and a first aid spray as we try to stay alive to find the president's daughter in my review of Resident Evil 4. Before we jump into the details of this game's story, let's take a few minutes to talk about some details that you may not have known about the game or its developer in The Breakdown. Gamers, before Resident Evil 4 actually released, the original game that is, way back in January of 2005, it went through a lot of different revisions and styles before we got that final product. So many years of production was behind what we ended up seeing on the other end of our GameCube controllers that year, and ultimately the remake that we get to play today. Now, very interestingly enough, the game was actually started over four times, given the fact that it's RE4, I found that pretty interesting. And that first scrapped version, it actually would have featured a character whose name was Tony Redgrave. And Capcom says this is the son of Oswell Spencer, who actually is mentioned in the original Resident Evil from 1996 and in the remake in 2002. Now, Tony would have gotten superpowers from being infected with the G-Virus, the virus that is prominently in Resident Evil 2. But producer and creator of the series, Shinji Mikami, he actually felt that, you know what, that concept is a little bit too far from what the survival horror roots are of Resident Evil, so let's maybe take this idea and utilize it within a different game or new franchise, which is exactly what Capcom actually ended up doing because that game and franchise ended up becoming Devil May Cry, which later released in 2001. And Tony obviously had his name changed to Dante, which I am very appreciative of. Big fan of that series. Very interesting pieces of information about the development of Resident Evil 4. But let's get to why we're here, which is the review, and start out with my thoughts on the game's story. Resident Evil 4 begins six years after the events that happened to Raccoon City and Resident Evil 2. And just as that game's main protagonist, half of which was Leon Kennedy, we see him as the main protagonist in Resident Evil 4, at the start of which he is making his way into the brush, if you will, the forested areas of what is supposed to be Spain. And he's on a mission for the government 
And he's actually no longer an RPD police officer at this point. Obviously, the Raccoon City Police Department was destroyed in the destruction of Raccoon City at the end of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. And so we now see that he is working for an anti-Umbrella Corporation task force that has sent him on this specific mission, and his main objective is to find and rescue the president's daughter, Ashley Graham. Now, her exact location is unknown, but she was last known to be in this general area. So we have two local police officers who are driving Leon into the area where she was last known to be at the very beginning of the game. And ultimately, one thing leads to another, and Leon ends up in the forested area by himself, and just kind of trying to survive yet again, as he previously experienced in Resident Evil 2. Now, the thing is, is he stumbles across all kinds of crazy different symbols that are created on signs or on the sides of walls and these log cabins and houses and shacks as he's making his way down this forested path. Ultimately, he finds his way to a hunting lodge. And it's here where he realizes things are a little bit crazier than he might would have already expected when we find the first victims, according to Leon, of the Las Plagas, which is the new virus in this game. You know, every Resident Evil has its own specific virus that it kind of deals with for the most part. The original Resident Evil had the T-Virus, Resident Evil 2 was the G-Virus, so on and so forth. Well, in Resident Evil 4, it is the Las Plagas. And it's actually the first Resident Evil game that utilized a bioweapon that was not produced by Umbrella. So as we delve further into this game and Leon starts to unravel the mystery of the nearby village, as well as its inhabitants and the history behind that village, there is a lot of depth and lore here to dissect. So what I loved about this game was the way that the delivery of the story was. I mean, obviously you have cutscenes, which do a good job of keeping the main story moving along at a good pace. And in my opinion, explaining what was going on and giving you a general idea of why things were happening the way that they were. But if you really want to get the nitty gritty details and the backstory as to how everything got to where it was when Leon arrived... Man, you gotta pick up those notes and those journal entries that are all throughout the game world as you explore. Because you find out that this location has been here for hundreds of years. There is a whole family line, a lineage, that has basically overseen this land. And the land area here is massive. I mean, there is the village that you start out in, and then there is a castle in the forested, deeper areas of it. And there is many other secrets to uncover that I won't go into in the interest of spoilers as you explore this area. Now, the Salazar family is the family who has basically overseen this area of land for centuries. Well, as fate would have it, unfortunately, there is a group or a cult, better yet, known as the Los Illuminados. And they actually have basically interjected into this area and kind of poisoned the mindset of a lot of the people that either worked at the castle, different Salazar family members, as well as the villagers themselves. So we see that the introduction of the Los Illuminados is really what kind of starts the infection spread of the Las Plagas. And I got to tell you, the G-Virus previously was my favorite virus, if you can have one, if I can even say that in uh, the Resident Evil series, but replaying this remake has just made me really greatly appreciate and love Las Plagas. I mean, there is just something about it, the way that the people still move around with a certain sense of purpose, and they're not just kind of blindly moaning, reaching for you. You know, they're not that kind of zombie. They are a different type of enemy, if you will. And as Leon discovers more and more secrets, he eventually, obviously, you meet up with Ashley, and there is a lot to find out about her as well, and the connection that he and Ashley have in Las Plagas, and that's all I'll say about that, because again, I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but there is a connection there between Leon and Ashley that you will discover as you play through the game, and a lot of different side characters you'll meet along the way. Luis is an awesome character that I love that'll help Ashley and Leon and 
you know, do you really trust him though? Is he really somebody to trust because you find out he actually previously worked for Umbrella? So how can you really trust somebody that used to work for that corporation? Uh, there's also Ada Wong makes a cameo appearance throughout the course of this game. And she was a great character that always has to make an appearance. Whenever there's a Leon based Resident Evil, you know, Ada Wong is going to be there because ever since Resident Evil 2 and the connection that they had with William Birkin and the underground laboratory and the sequences that happened there, man, there was a lot of good scenes with Ada Wong within this game. And there, it just shows that there is a, a grander, a bigger understanding of what actually was going on at this location with the village and inside this forested area with the castle and this family of the Salazars. But as you explore, if you really look for all this stuff, it's a great backstory and very interesting stuff to really kind of see the slow breakdown of a general society that was there. And unfortunately, the slow overtaking of it by... The main antagonist of this game is Lord Sadler. And Lord Sadler is really kind of the main antagonist of this game. You've, you briefly see him throughout different cutscenes here or there. And it's really not towards the end of the story that you really get a, a better understanding of exactly who he is and what his purpose and everything is. And I really appreciated the way that they represented him in the remake because I thought that how they kind of expanded on him, in my opinion, to what they had in the original game, they did it really well. And it kind of shows that within the game world, there is this kind of a hive mind with the Las Plagas. And he is kind of the the center of that and is able to control all the different villagers and whoever is infected with Las Plagas. But there's something special about Ashley. And that's the whole reason why they kidnapped Ashley and brought her there to this location and why, therefore, Leon is having to go after her. So it was very intriguing to me to play throughout the story and just kind of have that carrot dangling in front of me the whole time, like, oh, man, what is the secret? Like, what is it about Ashley? What is going on with Leon? What does this Lord Sadler really want? And what does the Salazar family really think about all this? Like, man, and you find out uh, some things about Ramon Salazar. He's a character that you meet. He's the last of the line of the Salazar family. And you find out why if you read the notes again. So I'm telling you gamers, you really want to keep your eye out for the different texts that you can pick up and read because they really fill you in on just a lot of really cool stuff that was happening there. And as you go through with Leon and he's understanding and finding out these things for himself as well as the character within the game, using the help of Luis and Ada and having different antagonists kind of pop up along the way that are these more of a threat to Leon and Ashley than your, your basic run-of-the-mill villager or zealot. Uh, there are just a lot of really great characters, good and bad, that you meet along the way. And I don't think really any wasted uh, characters or time spent delving into the characters' backstories. I think that they're all very memorable in their own way. And I think the Capcom just did a great job of really giving a purpose or a sense of purpose to each character that's highlighted or showcased within the story and within the game throughout it. So when it comes to character development, I really think that they did a great job of working on the relationship between Leon and Ashley. And they're very different from the point that they first meet each other until the end of the game. And by that end of the game, it's just a completely different look for Leon and Ashley between each other. And I sit back and I really just think about the story as a whole. I absolutely love this story. I appreciate it so much more now than I did way back in the day in 2005 when I first played it. And even when I replayed it again a couple years later on the Wii, I just never appreciated the story and the setting and its characters as much as I do now with this remake. It's just a great story, a great set of characters. It's perfectly paced. There is a lot of callbacks and Easter eggs that are in there for Resident Evil franchise fans. And it just, they, Capcom did a great job of putting this story together and honestly fleshing it out more for this remake. And I am massively appreciative of it and just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed my time spent in the game's world and learning all the things that I did as I spoke to in the journals and notes. So when it comes to story, Resident Evil 4, in my opinion, is just absolutely excellent, knocks it out of the park, and in, in my opinion, is one of the best Resident Evil stories out of all of the games in the series. Now let's go check out what my thoughts were on the graphics and sound.
Gamers, as we move into the graphics and sound discussion about Resident Evil 4, I'm going to start first with the graphics. And as I usually like to do, I love to give you listeners a perspective on exactly how it is that I am perceiving visually Resident Evil 4 or whatever game it may be that I'm reviewing. So in this case, I am playing on a PlayStation 5 hooked up to an LG OLED C1 TV. Now, I do also prefer to run the games that I play, if given the option, in fidelity or visual or anything that highlights the visuals over frame rate. And that's no different here in Resident Evil 4. So, with those details out of the way, let's just jump right into the details of Resident Evil 4's visuals. And they are absolutely gorgeous. Now, I will say that in the cutscenes that are played out, when you zoom in via photo mode, when you are just walking around, the level of detail is just awesome. I mean, there are physics at work with just in the hair of both Ashley, Leon, and other characters that you meet that I talked about. I mean, the hair physics are there, and it just adds a different level to the game as far as a realism feel to it. Not to mention the different pieces of gear that Leon may be wearing at the time. I mean, there's different things that'll move around like keychains and whatnot. So, I mean, you just look for those little tiny visual details. They are there. The cloth and fabric on the different clothes that all the characters wear. I mean, the different veins and eye color and veins in the eyes of main characters, as well as especially in the villagers. I love the detail that was put into their visible infection <laughs> as far as the Las Plagas is concerned. I love the detail that Capcom went to and really showing and exploiting that and those details within this remake. So character models I thought looked great. The animations were excellent. I felt like the character movement of Leon as you controlled him throughout the game, the other characters, you know, Ashley, she's a companion, an AI companion throughout a good portion of the game. She moved around not stiff. And when you look at other characters like Luis and just the enemies and their movements, the villagers themselves, I mean, they all have a very similar movement type, but the movement type itself is extremely realistic and smooth and fluid and realistic in life. So excellent, excellent character models. The amount of level of detail that's in them is just no expense spared. Now we talk about environments next and man, I got to tell you, I absolutely loved the environments in this game. I've talked about it numerous times, whether it was in my Captain's Quarters episodes and this review a little bit. I feel like looking back, I severely underappreciated this game upon its initial release. And for one reason or another, just did not really allow myself to fully take in what I was experiencing to the level that Capcom probably wanted me to take in. And what I mean is not just the characters and the story, but also the visuals. I love visual identities in a game. You know, I talk about regional identities in Assassin's Creed Valhalla or just the visual identity of realms in God of War Ragnarok. I love that. And Resident Evil 4 is no different from the forests of Spain that you travel through to get to the amazingly detailed village and all of its surrounding areas of the lake and the different cave systems that are around the lake, the different underground laboratories, the castle, the freaking castle, I have to say was my absolute favorite visual environment to explore and to take in and just breathe it in 100%. I absolutely loved what Capcom did with the design of that castle. And not just from a graphical detail standpoint either. I'm talking about from just the design of it, the level layout of it. I mean, it was just expertly designed and I love the Metroidvania style of that design. And when you talk about details and the visuals within the castle itself, I mean, there's things all over the place, an absolute beautiful amount of detail put into these environments and locations. And you can tell there was a lot of love put into this remake. It wasn't just kind of a quick cash in. It was absolutely time well spent and really just fleshing out what was put there just about 20 years ago in that original game. So it's not just the actual graphics as they are, but it's also the lighting in this game I thought was just phenomenal. Now, you have the flashlight, the artificial light of that flashlight. You also have natural lighting like the sun and fire 
And there's also blue flame that you'll come across for different reasons that you'll find out as you explore the castle. But either way, it's the color and the lighting that just really surprised me in this game. I love the way that it was implemented. I think that Capcom did a phenomenal job. There are a, There's a sequence that I talked about on my One Captain's Quarters episode where it's literally pure darkness and all you have is a blue flame lantern. And you can't really see, but more than two feet in front of you. And just the way that the lighting is done as you're going through this straight corridor, it's so expertly done. Not to mention shadows and the way that they play off of the environment. And uh, I, I just, I, I can't speak enough about how awesome all these things play into the environmental immersion and just the experience overall. It's just so well done in this game, every aspect of it, and the level of detail put into characters and environments and the little details in the environments. I mean, it, it was just such a joy to really just breathe in this world and these characters as I explored and continued throughout the course of the game. When it comes to the audio or sound of the game, though, honestly, it is just as good as the visuals are. I mean, I'll start with the voice acting, and I thought Leon's voice actor was absolutely excellent, perfect choice for him. I felt like the gravitas and that confidence that was supposed to be there for the character was exuded perfectly by the voice actor. And the animations that they did and the facial expressions, I mean, just to tie that in with the visuals there, it was expertly done. I will say every voice actor in the game, Luis, I thought was awesome as well. Just extremely well done. Ashley was very solid and perfect with the role. I felt like Lord Sadler, Ramon Salazar, all these other key antagonists were definitely well represented vocally. Now, when it comes to Ada Wong, I do know there is some controversy, some issue online with people harassing the voice actress and saying, you know, this, that, and the third. I'm not going to get into that. I don't agree with that. I will say that in all honesty, I did feel that her voice out of all the voices in the game was the weak. I didn't feel like there was any emotion behind what was being said. There was not really any, there was some self-confidence there, but there was just something missing that didn't seem or feel or sound like Ada Wong, in my opinion, should sound. Having listened to her and, and different voice actresses and portrayals of her over the years, sure, but they've all maintained a certain consistency of representation of that voice and that character and that self-assuredness. And I didn't feel like that was there. I thought it was missing in this game. But outside of Ada's voice actress, which, again, wasn't detrimental to the game experience, everything else voice acting wise, I thought was great. The villagers, their voices were either really creepy uh, or just very distinguishable one from another. I love that. And man, just the music was awesome. There was some truly terrifying music throughout the course of the game. And I felt like the score ramped up when it needed to. It had that slow, perfect kind of pacing to what I would I would say is a Resident Evil style of pacing with the music. Because I felt like, or I feel like, Resident Evil is a series that has always had iconic music. Whether it was the original music of the RPD in Resident Evil 2, or even in the mansion in Resident Evil 1. I mean, they, I feel like they've always had iconic music. And especially, I have to mention, obviously, the music that plays when you're in a safe room. There's just something iconic about it and familiar about it. So all that is in place and excellent. And when it comes to basic sound effects, I thought that the game did just, again, an amazing job. I think that the use of the combat knife and the sounds of it, the sounds of different communications that you get from back at base, you know, reporting to Leon and trying to help guide him through this mission, that coming through the speaker on the dual sense, if you're playing without headphones or the way it comes in through the headphones, sounding like you're actually communicating with these people and they're talking to you right in your ear. There are just different things that were, the sound came across very unique and just, I don't know, something about it was pleasant to my ear. Just like with, for instance, whenever a new chapter pops up, say chapter two pops up at the beginning, there's a certain sound effect that plays as the words and the number chapter two pop up on the screen. And then the same thing, a, spe a specific sound plays as that font dissolves. And I loved, for whatever reason, that sound effect. So just basic sound effects like that, the sounds of the weapons and the guns and the explosions and different things like that footsteps moving around in the brush. I mean, just things that you hear in the environment as you're moving through and creeping through. And I mean, it's just, it's truly 
the game has a lot of truly terrifying moments that can really build up some suspense. Hearing villagers or different enemy types and trying to find out where they are coming from or, hey, I'm in a forested area. I can't see enemies, but I can definitely hear them. So there's some enemies here. They're saying their chant or just saying over and over and over, Las Plagas, Las Plagas. It's like, oh, man. Excellent, excellent sound design. But when it comes to a complete piece of immersion, an experience where you want like no other to feel like you are Leon Kennedy, you are in that environment with him, you may be looking to wear the 3D Pulse headset when playing the game. And since I played it on the PS5, that is the headset that I wore when alternating between using it or a soundbar. So in this next segment, I'm going to review my experience wearing the 3D Pulse headset and to say, did it have a massive effect on my gameplay experience wearing that headset? Or was there no effect at all? Let's go find out. When talking about any survival horror game, sound, in my opinion, is almost the most important factor in a game. Whether it's sound effects, how enemies sound, how the attention is built up in the environment through sound, the score, whether it's orchestral or lyrically, however it shapes up, sound, in my opinion, is absolutely crucial to any horror experience. And that's no different with Resident Evil 4. So when it comes to... Whether or not I feel that is there or is there not a massive effect when wearing the 3D Pulse headset, let me just first, for perspective, let you know that I did alternate my play quite, I would say, down the middle between using the 3D Pulse headset as well as an LG soundbar that I utilize when not wearing that headset. And first off with the soundbar, let me just say the sound and the quality and everything comes through great on it. There is definitely a different sense of immersion when you have the subwoofer that goes off for bigger explosions or, or higher octane moments like that. But for the absolute most immersive experience, I have to recommend wearing that 3D Pulse headset or a comparable headset if you're on the Xbox or just don't have a 3D Pulse headset, you have a different headset on the PS5. Anything comparable to that, I would highly recommend it because I mean, just the ambiance and the environment that you pick up on when you're utilizing the 3D spatial audio and directional audio, and not just for tension and scares, but also it's really a great way to kind of help you figure out sometimes which direction the villagers are coming from, because a lot of times they are muttering their chants and incantations in the distance, and you can hear them walking around or, or saying these chants in the distance. And if you really listen and turn the camera in the game and you can follow that audio with your ears in the headset, if it goes more left or right, you know which direction to go. It's just really cool stuff like that that you can definitely utilize to your advantage in the game via the 3D Pulse headset. So, I mean, I just, I loved the clarity that comes through the uh, the way that the sound effects or the rain when it's raining at certain sequences in the game, the way the, the raindrops sounded and felt in the headset. I mean, it's just, it's a great experience. So is there a massive effect when wearing a 3D Pulse headset or no effect at all? I would definitely say there was a massive effect when wearing that 3D Pulse headset. Now let's go check out the game's controls. Gamers, while controlling Leon through the village and castle and island environments within the game, it is done from a third-person perspective. So you're going to have that dual analog control. Left analog stick is for character movement. Right analog stick is for the camera. And I got to tell you, it's been a very, very pleasant experience controlling Leon in this game, in this version, because I feel like this is probably some of the best controls of a character, just period, that I have played in a very long time. I mean, the controls... Just purely on character movement, I would say, are perfect. The absolute balance of tightness and looseness and just the sense of control you have over those movements is just awesome. And if you remember in the original Resident Evil 4, everything was stationary as far as Leon's movement when you readied and aimed a weapon. Well, that's not the case in this remake, which is massive, because if that was still the case, that would have honestly not been something I would have been a fan of. So I'm very happy that Capcom decided to move away from that and go more modern day and have Leon actually move, even though he has his weapons readied. And when he's moving in that readied position, I mean, man, there is just still 100% 
excellent control over the aiming of the weapons. You do that, obviously, you aim and get in that stance with the left trigger and uh, L2 on the PlayStation console, as well as R2 to fire the weapon on PlayStation. Now, I will say that depending on which weapon type you have, depends on which kind of viewpoint you get. So if you are using uh, just a, most weapons, I would say, in the game, you stay at that third-person viewpoint. You zoom in just a tad bit, as any game with gunplay does. But if you're using the sniper rifle or a weapon with a scope, it's obviously going to go immediately into that scope vision. And then if it's the actual rifle, you actually go into a first-person shooter-type viewpoint where you were looking down the iron sights of the weapon. And I thought that was actually pretty cool too, that a lot of the different weapons, they all had kind of almost their own line of sight, so to speak, when you're using them and aiming them. So I thought that was done really, really well. And just as you're walking through the environment, there's really no clipping or issues that I felt like with Leon getting caught on invisible <laughs> barriers or anything like that. It was just, it was an awesome experience to control him throughout these different environments and areas and the game as a whole. And when it comes to controlling Ashley, because once she joins and is your AI companion for portions of the game, I liked what Capcom chose to do with basically issuing different commands to her. So it's really all done with the right analog stick. You click in R3 and it will have her either come closer to you and run tightly to you, or if you click it again, she will kind of back off a little bit. So if you were trying to run and get through different areas and whatnot, it's best to have her close to you. But if you're in the middle of a firefight and you're trying to take out enemies, a lot of times it may be better for her to back off a little bit. So it's just really basically depending on the scenario that you're in, depends on when you want to click in that right analog stick. But analog control, character control, controlling Ashley, I thought it was all really well done. Gunplay in general, outside of just the line of sight that you have when using a weapon, I thought it was excellent. I thought that the pull of different weapons based on your upgrade status of them and just in general the type of weapon that it was, I thought the sway on it was really good and the analog stick's responsive in the sense of, hey, I got to just kind of barely flinch the right analog stick a little bit to the right and upward trajectory so I can get that perfect headshot with a sniper rifle. That was, it felt good. It just felt right, if that makes sense. Now, when it comes to reloading and the PlayStation, it was the square button was the reload button. And I thought that was perfectly placed. It would be X on the Xbox, I'm assuming. And that just, it just feels right. Like most games I feel like that are action shooters or have that functionality within them, typically one of those buttons on each respective console is the one that you use to reload. So it's perfectly placed. It's a nice, comfortable position for your finger to go to to reload that weapon. And when it comes to swapping weapons mid combat, I thought it was really a good design decision to do what Capcom did, which is you can essentially have Leon carry up to eight weapons at a given time because each direction on the D-pad is designated two slots for weapons. So you can have two weapons per direction on the D-pad and you just tap up, say for instance, to go to that first one in the up position or double tap up and it'll get you to that second one. So I felt like it was very fast and fluid when I wanted to switch weapons. It was the command and the prompt that I would put in was immediately registered and Leon Endgame very quickly switched to the weapon that I wanted him to and I thought it was great, especially when you get into a situation where numerous times throughout the game you are going to come into this situation where you have numerous enemies around you and you may have to do a little bit of crowd control, whether it's with a, a, a kind of point and spray weapon like a submachine gun or an assault rifle, or if it's more of like a, hey, just, you know, you pull out the big guns and you use a riot shotgun or something of that nature and you just blast, you know, three enemies that are right in front of you back to give yourself some space. But regardless of how you do it, I thought it was extremely well implemented and I didn't have any issues with utilizing the D-pad to switch between the different weapons that I selected for Leon to have. And that could also be used for grenades because grenades do play a different role in the game as well. As far as flash grenades, you have hand grenades. I mean, there's three different types of grenades. The other one is just kind of a basic grenade. Then you have a more of a military style or military grade hand grenade as well as that flash grenade. Flash grenades are great for stunning a group of enemies and giving yourself some time to either get away or line up some nice melee attacks, which comes up as a button prompt and you press X and that was very responsive as well. Or if it's grenades you're looking to use, that is also good for taking out either more 
stronger, not really boss enemies. I mean, you can use them, obviously, for bosses, but the stronger enemies, the brutes is what I would call them within the game. They are best, at least in my experience, used for that. Or just, you're low on health, you're low on ammo, I need to clear out these last four or five <laughs> Las Plagas villagers and get out of here. That kind of a scenario. But either way, again, you just assign those to which direction on the D-pad you want them to be designated to, and you're good to go. Now, you can also do a lot more detailed stuff when it comes to inside the attache case and how you space everything out because you can't equip weapons and use items from the attache case. You access that by pressing the touchpad on the PlayStation controller. And when you bring that up, it's just like the last few Resident Evil games have been where you're kind of able to play Tetris in a sense where you're trying to maximize your space and connect as many items together as you can to free up as much space as possible so you can carry as much ammo and weapons and healing items as possible. The one thing I do love that the game does is it separates your key items and treasures from the attache case so therefore it's not taking up unnecessary space that is crucial for holding on to weapons and ammo and health items. So when it comes to that, the attache case, navigating it and going from item to item, and you can use L1 and R1 to change the direction that the items are facing in or laying in. I thought that was all very fluid and great. Uh, immediately upon pressing the touchpad, it brings you to that. And then you can do menu navigation via the L1 and R1 buttons as far as switching between the map or the different uh, texts that you've picked up, the documents, you can go to a screen that you can kind of flip through all the different documents that you've gotten and the game has them separated by location, whether it's the castle or the village or the island. So I thought that was very helpful. And then you can also go and pause the game with the options button on PlayStation. That'll give you the option to bring up photo mode. You can go into the challenges screen and see what all the different challenges the game has in store for you that you've uh, completed, or what I love about it is it actually tracks your progress on numbered or progressive challenges. So I was very appreciative of that, especially when it came to the uh, Clockwork Castellanos. I, I loved being able to go in there and just kind of double and triple check myself to make sure, okay, that one did count. It's still there. I got credit for it. Let's keep it moving. So accessing the menu and, and navigating the menu system is great. I loved the map. I thought the map was excellently done in this game. There's been a, a just, honestly, a lot of games I've reviewed recently have had just, I feel like this string of great in-game maps that have been implemented. And I feel like developers have gotten better and better and kind of know what, hey, this is what a good in-game map is. And they've done a great job within this game as well. And zooming in, zooming out, seeing what the different icons are and spelling out for you, hey, this area is blocked or this door is locked. Or even what I loved about Resident Evil 4 here specifically is the fact that it'll show if it's a locked drawer treasure or a, a different type of treasure or to have the icon, a picture of handgun ammo or the type of ammo or herbs if you've left them lying around and maybe missed them when you were in the middle of a combat situation or if there were different uh, barrels that you've broken and items were left but you didn't realize at the time you pull up the map and boom there they are and a nice little picture for you so all menu navigation all character control the gunplay i mean it's all just awesomely done and the only thing I would say with the controls is there are some quick timer events that I didn't really have an issue with the quick timer event itself where a button prompt pops up real quick and you got to either uh, mash the X button down or, or to that effect. But I will say, in a sense, there are some moments where enemies will get knocked on the ground and you have to kind of position yourself perfectly in front of their head and press the R2 button and that will initiate a final uh, kind of a killing blow, if you will, before they transform into more powerful uh, enemy types. Well, there is many times where I would be perfectly positioned and it was almost like the game wasn't registering my R2, or it was, but not enough to do the button prompt command. It would just, Leon would just sit there and swipe at the enemy or swipe at the air, and then they would have time to transform. And that could obviously be very frustrating. So outside of that, I really don't have anything to say at all uh, bad about the controls. I just thought they were excellent and absolutely made it a blast or helped make it a blast to play this game. But again, as I've stated numerous times, I'm playing on the PS5. So when it comes to PS5 and my reviews, I have a segment called the DualSense Difference where I break down, does it make a difference playing on the PS5 with a DualSense controller as opposed to say on a PS4 or on an Xbox console? 
Is it really a dual sense difference in Resident Evil 4? Let's find out. Gamers, first I'll talk about the few features that you can still get when playing on a PS4. You don't necessarily need a dual sense for, but they are still exclusive to the PlayStation experience. And the first thing I would say is the light bar, how it's utilized within the controller. And essentially it is and represents your current health status. So obviously if you're good to go, it's green. And as you start to get more damaged and not heal, it goes from green to yellow to red just as if it were in the game. So that actually is pretty cool. You always want to look down, or at least I did, and want to see that beautiful shade of green they have. And I do love that shade of green. It's a very specific shade of green. It matches perfectly to the green herb in the game. But in addition to the use of the light bar for your health, the PS4 version will also have the use of the speaker, which I love the implementation of the speaker in this game. I thought it was really cool. All the comms that you receive from home base, who Leon is working for, they're communicating with him throughout the whole game. And every time you have a comms come in from them or other non-playable characters that are companions that you meet along the way, they will communicate through the speaker if you're not wearing a headset during your playtime. And they came in very crystal clear, good to go. I really enjoyed that as well. But honestly, one of the coolest things I thought that it did with the speaker specifically was... Lord Sadler. There were these different visions that Leon would have throughout the course of the game, and Lord Sadler would be speaking to you or to Leon, essentially, through the speaker. So I thought that was actually really cool to have that specific uh, kind of experience there and kind of add to that immersion level. Now, when it comes to the dual sense specifically, the obviously biggest thing here is the haptic feedback and the adaptive triggers. And this game does an excellent job of utilizing the different feel of what you can really do with those adaptive triggers, it really comes down to the guns and how the different guns feel. And each one of them, they will, you'll feel a little bit different. and It may be very subtle, but you'll still feel a difference when it comes to aiming, as well as especially when it comes to firing the weapon. So whether it's the pistol or the sniper rifle or the shotgun, they all feel just a bit different. Some may have a little bit more tension on them than others, and you might feel a little bit more looser on some than others. And when it comes to the use of the haptics with your combat knife and different scenarios that you get in with that, there's a little bit of that too as well when you're going through and you're doing trying to be stealthy. You can go up behind enemies and stealth kill them and that will feel, you'll have a slight haptic feedback on that. As well as during what I would call second chance strikes. Now, these are basically if a an enemy gets too close to you and grabs you, there'll be an animation that plays out and you'll have an option to very quickly press R2 on the PlayStation and be able to stab the enemy in the neck or the head and get them off of you right away. So when that happens, there's also a little bit of haptic feedback. So all in all, the haptic feedback and adaptive triggers, those are really about the combat. Now, when it comes to just general exploration and moving around the world, whether it's footsteps that you feel when you're running and sprinting as Leon, you can feel that subtle vibration within the controller, as well as certain doors that you may open or whether it's during cutscenes or actually you're interacting with like an elevator or a lift taking you somewhere or different explosions that may be happening in the environment. All these things you can be felt with certain specific vibration unique to each one of these different scenarios and actions. And I thought that was great. So all in all, I mean, the dual sense difference is definitely there. Do you get a dual sense difference? Would it be a different experience playing on the PS5 as opposed to a PS4 or Xbox? I would absolutely say that it is. And I think it's worth checking it out on the PS5, even if you have a PS4 or an Xbox. I think that's the way to go because that's why I chose to play on the PlayStation was for the immersion factor and for that dual sense difference. And I definitely was not disappointed with what Capcom delivered with Resident Evil 4. Now that we've talked about the controls, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the game and discuss its gameplay. That's, 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 that's. 
As we dive into the gameplay that is featured in Resident Evil 4, let me remind you that it is a third-person survival horror action game, and it takes elements of all those different sub-genres to complete the experience here. So obviously, you're going to have the horror aspects. It's the survival piece of it where you're having the different characters and enemies that are coming at you, and you're going to have to survive. You do that through many different ways. Obviously, you're going to have to defend yourself with weapons and ammo and heal as needed with healing items. But the biggest pieces of survival horror are really about the survival aspect of it, meaning that you're going to have to manage those resources of ammo and health items within a limited amount of holding space. So in Resident Evil 4, it's an attache case. Now, you can upgrade the space that you were allotted within the attache case as you progress through the game at the merchant, which we will talk about here shortly as far as the details of the merchant and the gameplay that comes with it but that is ultimately how you manage your items your healing and weapon items via the attache case as well as the storage location that you can access via save points which are typewriters spread throughout the game world now as you explore this game world you're going to be from the third person perspective and you're going to have mostly open-ended kind of metroidvania style half linear environments where there's enemies that are peppered throughout or that'll pop up at certain set piece moments for you to take out and as you make your way past them it could be many different ways that you choose to take them out there is the action uh, method where you use your guns to take them out there's also a new stealth option as far as taking out enemies in this game and sneaking past enemies if you don't even want to interact from a combat perspective at all so there's many different ways to approach it, but first I'm going to start with the exploration aspect of the gameplay. And let me just say, I thought that Capcom did an amazing job with how you explore the game world here. And at least in my mind, the game is very segmented in the sense that you have the beginning of the game that is essentially the village map. And there are three different main maps that are what you will basically explore throughout the course of the game. The village, the castle, and the island. So I love that the fact that this was done this way because it really it, it compartmentalizes it for you as the player. And, and you don't feel, at least I didn't, too overwhelmed with the amount of progression or environment that you have to explore. And this environment, basically, there's going to be different areas as you come to them. There's locked doors. Either you're going to have to get a key card or find a certain key. Or there's going to be a special lock that's activated by finding three different headpieces to a statue to then unlock the gate and give you access to the next area that you need to go to. It's these kinds of things that will be blocking your path along the way. And there's sometimes also puzzles that you may have to figure out. And that is one of the things that Resident Evil has been known for since the very original game. One of my favorite puzzles in all of gaming still goes back to that Moonlight Sonata piano puzzle in the original Resident Evil. So if you are got your mind ready for the puzzles and you have your action mindset on when it comes to the gunplay in the game, as well as making sure to utilize that combat knife when it comes to stealth kills and parries and deflections, and the quick timer events where you can do a uh, one of those last minute second chance maneuvers is what I call them, the second chance strike. Well, as you continue to explore, things that you're going to be looking for in the environment, there's a ton of stuff to look for, gamers. There's obviously the key items that I mentioned earlier, like keys or key cards or different pieces that you're going to need for a puzzle, like the head pieces that I was talking about. But in addition to that, there are a ton of treasures that are spread throughout this world. And what you're going to do with these treasures, they are mostly meant and intended to be sold to the merchant for money. And in this case, the currency system is pitas. And I'll get into the details again of the merchant in a little bit here. But essentially, these are items that you want to keep an eye out for as well because it is massively imperative to your success in this game to maximize your potential, your earning potential, your profit potential, if you will, from that merchant within this commerce of selling and upgrading or accentuating the price and the value of these treasures that you find. Now, obviously, you'll have a lot of your regular item pickups as well for ammo and health items. These can be found either just lying around in the environment or there are tons of wooden crates and barrels and other kinds of things that you can do and destroy in order to have access to them. So you want to keep your eyes out for all of these barrels and boxes and 
most of the time they're highlighted with a little bit of yellow paint on them. So that tells you they are a breakable object and you're going to get some kind of item, whether it's the pitas or ammo or health, any of those things. Gunpowder, that is another aspect of the gameplay here. You can also craft, which is a huge portion of the game and part of your survival. If you have the gunpowder and the crafting resources, varying by size as well there is small and large resources so if you have the combination of the two you are able to craft different ammo types based on what category they are placed in whether it be small or large ammo but when it comes to the exploration piece this is really the bulk of what you're going to be doing looking out for enemies taking them out as you come across them via either gunplay or stealth as well as looking for these key items treasures and also one of my favorite things in any game the different documents that you can find, whether it's journal entries or lab files or just different notes that have been left behind to kind of give some extra added backstory and substance to what's going on. So outside of all these things that you can find and look for in the environment, we'll kind of break down individually some of the things that I broadly covered here. And I'm going to start with the combat in the game. And let me just say that gunplay in this game is fantastic. I felt that every gun felt unique. Each one had a different kind of pop to it. And there were, of course, some that I liked more than others. I didn't really care for the submachine gun, but I loved the riot shotgun. I didn't much care for the crossbow either in this game, which I was very disappointed with because I really wanted it to be a stealth option for me as far as a gun is concerned or a long range option, as opposed to having to feel forced to sneak up behind an enemy and do a stealth kill. So, in general, I felt like the aiming and the reticule and the sway of the different weapons and all of that I thought was absolutely excellent. The upgrade system that's in place based on just, you know, using the pitas for the asked of amount that it requ is required for each upgrade, whether it's in the ammo capacity or the reload speed or the amount of damage that a shot does by a certain... All these different things are extremely well implemented and you really do notice the difference from upgrade to upgrade or at least i did one thing that i thought was a cool addition is there is a maximum or a, an extra addition that you can have to the each weapon basically there is an extra upgrade that you can have and most of the time it looked like to me at least that it was a multiplier for the damage that you were giving out on, on a certain shot a, a 1.5 times damage multiplier or in the case of the handgun, the original handgun that I kept with me throughout the entire game, love that weapon, my favorite weapon in the game, right there neck and neck, honestly, with the Riot shotgun. But the base handgun, you can actually, if you buy its extra upgrade, it actually allows you to increase your chances of a critical shot or critical hit, which is huge if you're looking to get that cherry pop headshot on uh, as often as possible on the different villagers. But I, I love the gunplay in this game. It was very addictive. It just felt very fluid and very good with the controls. And just Capcom did an excellent job with it. The upgrade system felt right and actually felt like it made a difference. There's some games I've played where you upgrade the weapons and you don't really notice or feel the difference in the upgrade from upgrade to upgrade. And this was not that case. It was actually really, really differentiated one from another. And as far as the combat knife goes, I did think that having a an option or an ability to upgrade and repair as damage is given to the knife because every strike that you do, every quick timer reaction, every stealth kill, every usage of that knife, you damage it just a little bit more and it does break at a certain point. And then you'll have to repair at the merchant the next time you see him if you choose if you choose to do so and if you have the pitas to do so but you can also upgrade the knife which i thought was awesome the durability of it the strength of it so there is all those options there for you so uh, the the option and the ability for you to be successful as a player is there you just have to learn how to manage your currency as well as how it fits in with your play style because you may not want to do stealth at all that may not even be a part of your gameplay style and you may just want to go in and focus on guns and that's perfectly fine because you can still do that so as far as combat is concerned i thought it was awesome there's an evade option as well you can evade certain attacks that are incoming from enemies and there's a ton of different options there for you and they're all done very very well now when it comes to the currency system and the merchant that i keep talking about there is a lot of depth here because, sure, the merchant is there to give you the option to buy new weapons, buy upgrades for these weapons, as I mentioned. But he's also there as a way to sell off 
for massive profits, a lot of these treasures that I was talking about that you're able to get. And one really cool thing that you can do in this game is, as is the case in a couple of the more recent Resident Evil titles, there's different jewels that you can find throughout the game world. And in Resident Evil 4, in this game, in this version, you can actually inlay those different gemstones into specific treasures that allow for that to be done, whether it's the round jewels or the more squared off jewels. And they actually give you a sheet that gives you the multipliers for all the different variations and combinations of the different jewel colors and how you can maximize your profit based on how you mix and match those jewels when you inlay them into a specific treasure. So I thought this was awesome. It was kind of fun and addictive in a way and a really cool addition to the game and added to the fun of selling the treasures as opposed to just going to the merchant and selling them. So I loved the whole interaction and commerce system with the merchant. In addition to all this, there is also a whole other system to the game now and another new addition overall to this version of Resident Evil 4, which is errands that you can do for the merchant himself. There'll be different blue colored paper notes that are posted in certain areas throughout the game. And they're basically just different basic requests. I mean, hey, in this next area or next couple of areas, there are these blue medallions that are getting on my nerves. Can you shoot all five of them down? Or, hey, in this next building, there's a rat infestation. Can you kill all the rats? And what happens is the merchant, when you turn in the completed request, he'll actually give you these spinals, which are these pink little looking, almost kind of like ruby looking things, but they are also another form of currency. So you use these not to purchase weapon upgrades or anything like that. These are actually traded, not sold, but traded for other specific unique items that the merchant will give for you in exchange for those spinals. These could be things like the max or extra upgrade I was talking about. You either have to pay mass amounts of pitas for it, or you can trade these spinals in for a an upgrade ticket. You could also trade it in for different, like the stock for the Red 9 handgun to make it not sway as much when you're trying to shoot it. Gunpowder, resources, my favorite, the treasure maps. For each map that I listed, as far as the castle, village, and the island, you can buy a treasure map or trade for the treasure map, and that'll show you the treasure locations. It'll pop the icons all across the map so you know exactly where the different treasures are that you have to go after. And there's a treasure counter at the bottom right of the map. I loved it. I love that. That was always a priority for me. Anytime I got into a new area to absolutely buy or trade for that treasure map. So when we talk about resources, again, I was talking about crafting earlier. Obviously, as I stated, there are many different spots where you pick up gunpowder throughout the course of the game. And again, like I stated, these are used in conjunction with the different sized resources to craft ammo for your different weapons. Now, there's also herbs, of course, is one of the healing options in the game, just like first aid sprays. And herbs, they are green, yellow, and red. And there are di many different combinations that you can do with these different colored herbs. And depending on which the combination is, depends on the potency or intensity, uh, therefore how much you get healed for with each combination variation. Now, the yellow herbs, if you don't recognize that color as an herb in a Resident Evil game, that is actually used in conjunction with either a green or a green and red herb to increase your max health, which I thought was awesome. That was a cool addition that I appreciated of Capcom adding in there as well. So you have all these different things at your disposal, all these different means of survival. So outside of all of the weapons and combat and commerce and puzzles and everything else, but the other uh, addition to this game and not to the Resident Evil 4 as a whole, but just in general to the gameplay aspects of the game. And one thing that I loved was the shooting range. That was in the original game, but it comes back in this version of the game. And man, it's just a lot of fun. You lit, The merchant is set up in only specific spots, four different spots, I think it is, throughout the entirety of the game. And there's different just kind of like carnival style shooting games that you go down to, take an elevator to. And there's all kinds of different variations of weapons that you're required to use in a given specific uh, challenge, if you will. And based on the challenge and the score that you get at the end depends on how many and what type of tokens that you earn for your performance in the challenge. There can be silver tokens and gold tokens, and you can then go and trade those in at a machine and they will give you different attachments that you can put onto your attache case. And those attachments can affect a lot of different things in the game as far as how much the percentage of crafting resources for 
machine gun bullets are, or hey, if you have the bass attachment, it'll actually, if you, you can get a large bass fish and put it in your inventory. And if you actually use it to heal yourself, if you have the attachment on there, it'll heal you 100% for health. So there's just different things like that. 30% uh, discount off of weapon upgrades, which was a huge one for me to get. And I love that one. That was my favorite, obviously. But there is just so much on hand here to do and take in and enjoy in this game. And just a ton of variety. I absolutely loved everything that was here and could not get enough of it. So now that we've talked about all the different kind of gameplay that you can expect to get when you play Resident Evil 4, let's go talk about the game's photo mode and whether or not I felt like it was a masterpiece, a work of art, or... Eh, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's find out. When it comes to the photo mode options in Resident Evil 4, I didn't really honestly feel there was a whole lot extra going on than what you would get out of what I would consider kind of your average run-of-the-mill photo mode that most games offer nowadays. You did have pretty good camera control. I didn't have any issues with that. Accessibility was pretty quick. I still prefer a one-step process of just a certain button click or connection of buttons as opposed to pausing and then pressing a button. In this case, you pause and then press the square button on PlayStation, brings you right into the photo mode. So not too bad. But in addition to that, like I said, camera control is good. Zooming in, zooming out, you can get that perfect angle. Most of the time, I don't really have any issues getting that angle. You have your brightness and your focus distance options, as well as the different filters that are pretty much the same filters in any other game's photo mode. The borders were not exactly, or frames, I should say, were not exactly what I would consider frames. When, when I think of frames, I would really prefer something fun or... Uh, like Guardians of the Galaxy or Days Gone where there's barbed wire and a squared angle or even Miles Morales in the Spider-Man games where it's like comic book covers that you kind of insert your picture into. Those, I enjoy those frames. But when it's basically just the 16 by 9 and different aspect ratios that you can do, I still came up with some pretty cool shots with that, but it's not exactly what I'm looking for when it comes to frames as far as some fun options. Now, I will say when it comes to logo, that is a big deal for me. And it is an option in this game, albeit only one logo variation and no possibility of changing the size. I like it when a game's photo mode has different color options for the logo, as well as the ability to increase or decrease its size based upon where you may want to put it and fit it into the screenshot that you're taking. So the other big thing that I look for that they did not have in this game was emotes for the characters as well as character poses. They didn't have the option for eyes of the characters looking at the camera at all times. There was just a little, a lot of detailed options that I really would prefer to have or look for nowadays that most photo modes I feel like should have that this one did not. But it was still a good enough photo mode for me to get well over a hundred pictures that I took in my playtime in this game. So it was pretty average, but nothing more than that. So when it comes to my final review of the photo mode in Resident Evil 4, I would say that whether it's a masterpiece, a work of art, or a back to the drawing board, I got to go middle of the road and say that it's a work of art because I really don't feel like there was much else here that made it stand out from, honestly, most of the photo modes in the industry at this point. So that was my thoughts on the game's photo mode. Now, let's go see what the ship's chronometer has to say about how long it took me to beat the game, as well as how long it may take you to beat the game based on your play style. Gamers, as I take a look at the ship's chronometer, I ended the game, credits rolling, right at the 40-hour mark. Now, if you are looking to just play straight through the game's story and the 16 chapters that are there on hand for you, you're not really looking to do a whole lot of exploration or really put too much thought into treasures and inlaying them with gemstones and etc., etc., you can probably expect to beat this game, I would say, somewhere between 16 to 20 hours because each chapter is probably roughly an hour, maybe uh, two hours on the longer end of some of the chapters, but then you got the other chapters that may end up being only half an hour. So it kind of fluctuates and it all shapes up in the end to be roughly 16 to 20 hours just purely for that main story. Now, if you do some exploration and you're going through the story, I would say there's probably a good chance you're looking at a 25-hour game here. But if you're looking at all of every single little thing that you're trying to find in the game and you're going for that Platinum Pursuit on the PlayStation or the 1000G 
quest, as I like to call it, the quest for a thousand G on Xbox, then you're probably looking at spending, I would say, maybe even close to 60 to 80 hours, somewhere in that range. Because for all those trophies, you're going to have to play through multiple times, get the S++ and all that kind of crazy ranking system that Capcom loves to do in their games. So if you're planning on getting that Platinum or 1000G, buckle up because you're going to be putting some time into it. And if that's how you have fun with the game, awesome. But that's the ship's chronometer. Now let's go check out my final thoughts and review score. Gamers, as I sit back and reflect on the 40 hours that I spent in Resident Evil 4, the remake, I am absolutely extremely satisfied with the time that I spent in the game and the experience that I had. It was an absolutely phenomenal experience from start to finish. Every single aspect of this game I just thought was expertly crafted. They really did Capcom take a lot of TLC with the source material of that original game and really made it the absolute best possible experience for this generation and this generation's version of that game. I feel like for what the game was when it originally released and how well it was received and how amazing it was then is just kind of repeated here and its own new version in a way. And I, I love the characters in this game. I love the settings. I said it before numerous times in the review. I never appreciated this game and this entry in the series as much as I feel like I should over the years. And going forward, I will never forget how amazing Resident Evil 4 is. And if a game can do that for me and make me realize, like, wow, man, I messed up last time, I think that's pretty special. Now, I will say the game's not without its faults. There are definitely some issues that I had with some of the enemy interaction. And I do feel like there are times where Capcom did what... Uh, me and some colleagues were referring to as ammo dump sections where they purposely you sit all, spend all this time getting everything together and then you end up having to go through hordes of enemies only to be left with nothing again that was frustrating i didn't really feel like other than that there were any issues really that i could complain about the controls the graphics everything were top notch and capcom really delivered on this game and i'm very glad that they remade it I may still want Code Veronica as my next main Resident Evil game to be remade, but at the end of the day, this was an amazing experience. It's an amazing story. Even if you've never experienced it before, I highly, highly recommend it. Even if you have experienced the game and multiple times or just way back on the GameCube, check this game out. Resident Evil fan or not, it's an excellent game and one you should not miss. And one that I have to give a review score of a 9.75 out of 10. That'll do it for my review of Resident Evil 4. I hope you've enjoyed your time aboard the SS Gamer. You can join its crew by reaching out to me via email at lostatseagaming365 at gmail.com or search for Hulk and Yoda on the Xbox, PlayStation, and Nintendo Switch networks. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at lostatseagaming as well as on Twitter at lostatseagamin, the number one. Thank you for listening, and until the sea says otherwise, we'll keep sailing.